Um, I already have the recording going, so all I need to do is clap us in, which is everyone's favorite part. Yes! To write, write with the Story Perfect um, Editing team. And then I'll, Visit I'll us at www.storyperfectediting.com for more information on developmental editing, copy <laughs> editing, chocolate. and proofreading services I'm for writing. Oh my god, you have a violin. <laughs> Season one, I'm ready for this. Episode six. Please, please, God, do something with a violin in two seconds. And... That's the clapping. <laughs> and that is the introduction for Story Perfect now. Perfect theme. Yeah, take us off. We, we're going to have to change the music for next episode. In, uh, that was amazing. Um, hi, and welcome to the Write Write Podcast. We are the Story Perfect editing team. My name is Elon. I am an apprentice editor with Story Perfect, um, and I'm going to be introducing the whole team now. So, John, take it away. Hi, I'm John Robin. I am the senior editor for Story Perfect. Hi, I'm Katie. <laughs> I'm the copy editor at Story Perfect. I'm Dale. I'm the junior. I'm now a junior editor at Story Perfect. Yay! I'm Ian. I'm an apprentice editor at Story Perfect. All right, that's all of us. So, uh, what are we reading? I'll start. Um, I just finished a really, really good book. I'll show it to the team on the video feed. It's called Central Station by Lavi Tidhar. He is an Israeli author living in London, and this is a sort of like cross-generational sci-fi uh, kind of like masterpiece that that drops beautifully onto your keyboard if you let it. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's a really, it's a fantastic book. I, I really recommend it. It's um, it's just beautifully written. And uh, I mean, the, the cover quote is uh, Gardner Dozois, who's like a fairly well-known uh, editor. Um, he does things like uh, World Year's Best Science Fiction and all sorts of anthologies. And he said, if you want to know what sci-fi is going to look like in the next decade, this is it. So... Uh, that's Central Station by Lavi Titar. What a fantastic, fantastic book. Hmm. Uh, how about you, John? Well, I am reading one of my favorite books of all time. I'll show it here. The Fellowship of the Ring. I decided I'm going to reread Lord of the Rings. This is my fourth time through. Um, the reason that I'm returning to this book is because I'm going to be doing a very big rewrite of my own novel, and I thought it would be a great time to connect to my roots. Um, just, I mean, there's been a lot of great fantasy that's come out since that, but, um, I think it's sometimes good to return to origins. For sure. I'm actually doing the same thing, John. I just finished rereading A Wrinkle in Time, mm. um, by Madeline Lingle. And I just, it was a book I really, really loved as a kid. And so I wanted to like return to it and, and sort of like identify what I had loved about it then. Um, and it holds up still super good and interesting and a little bit scary and I loved it. And I'm currently doing the same thing as all of you, revisiting one of my favorite books from all time when I was a childhood, when I was still a child, From Wags to Witches. It's a joke book. I have a joke for you right now. What kind of math are ghosts good at? What kind? What kind of math what are ghosts good at? Yes, exactly. Boolean math. No. Oh, that's a good answer. <laughs> According to this book, though, the kind of math that ghosts are good at are the scare roots. Oh, that's pretty good. I think <laughs> only I had my drum like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, like wags to witches, math. but I'm fairly sure mine was better. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but sorry, um, to interrupt, but I'm actually going between like a lot of books right now. Like I'm not, I'm not actually reading Wags from Wags to Witches. I just found it in my cupboard <laughs> one day. But um, in actuality, what I'm reading is, um, the Undercover Economist, which is an economist textbook for dummies, essentially, but it makes everything relatable. The Prince by Niccolo Machiavelli, I think I already talked about that before. And um, this, it's a biography of Louis, Louis Hippolyte La Fontaine and Robert Baldwin by John Ralston Sull, who is a Canadian philosopher who discusses things such as like Canadian identity and the, the roots of our, uh, of, of the Canadian nation, such like that. So yeah, really interesting. that's fine. All right, I'm currently reading uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Awesome. Check. It's one of my favorite it's books. Nice, nice. Pretty great uh, book. I mean, inarguably awesome. I book. got mine right here. Yeah. Nice. Completely <laughs> <bottle>. <laughs> oh. Mine is in Espanol. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, I read uh, kids' books in other languages to help me maintain my vocabulary. I've been planning to do yeah, that with, uh, yeah. with books I've already read, but going back to Hebrew. Uh, I yeah, wouldn't. Good idea. It keeps you fresh. <laughs> I recognize that. I had. Okay. I wouldn't call Harry Potter a children's book. It's more of. Well, a... no. It's. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't call it strictly a children's book either. But it's the the language is relatively simple for a translation. I think yeah. it's actually a really interesting thing to discuss because J.K. Rowling managed to uh, sort of like on a, on a sliding scale do the shades yeah. of children's book through yeah. like adult dark YA. Um, exactly. So like the first two books are definitely – or the first book is absolutely a children's book yeah. with elements of fear. Yeah. Uh, the second yeah. book gets a little bit darker and they pr get progressively darker and more adult as the series goes on. So by book three, it's definitely not a children's book anymore, but it hasn't yeah. quite reached that stage of YA. Um, I think it's it's a it's a genre that no one else can get away with. Yeah, like you yeah. you can't write a book in that middle ground and get away with it. You yeah. know, yeah. she uh, is a singular human being um, for being able to. But if you really want to challenge your language skills, read a book with made up words in a different language. Yes. I tried reading Shogun in Hebrew, and uh, oh. reading Jap transliterated Japanese names in Hebrew was one of the hardest things I've tried to do. <laughs> that I, sounds was, awesome. I was just like, oh, what is this word? I've never. You know oh, what's one of the hardest Yamagata. books? Oh, like, of course it does. <laughs> you were going to say something, Dale? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, one of the hardest books I've ever read, like in regards to language, is Have you guys ever heard of Finnegan's Wake? Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> I have a passage right here, and when you read it, you realize that not only does it use the most obscure, like, um, English words, it also just switches between, like, actual Latin, French, and, like, German, and all these, like, different crazy vocabulary <laughs> words, including Irish, like Celtic itself. There, that was, like, passage. cool for a little while. Yeah, yeah, it, it was cool, like, the first passage, and, like, after that, it's like, oh, God, it, it's impossible <laughs> to read. It's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I have a passage right here if you guys want me to read it. I don't mind. Does anyone mind? Yeah, go, go ahead. Okay. be a good little detour. <clears throat> <laughs> what clashes here of wills? Jean wants oystery gods, a gag and fishy gogs. Brekek, kekek, 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 coax, coax, coax. Ulao, ulao, ulao. 
Quano, where the Badalari's partisans are still out to mathmaster Malachus McGrains and the Verdons catapulting the cannibalistics out of the wolty voice of Hoodie Head. If you understood any of that, you are in. You, you're just, you're just I something. I'm nearly academic enough for that. Wow. Oh, I wrote a whole paper on that stupid book. <laughs> you, are you serious? I am. I was, a, I was a dumb English major. What can I say? <laughs> this right. is why. Well, and John and I were just discussing pretty recently about we're like the language things in the project I've been working on because there's a little bit of like Arabic in there. And the more you know about language, the better an editor you'll be. That's just like the simple rule. The more laws of language you know in more languages, the better job you'll do all the time. I found that my uh, linguistics background has been really helpful already. Um, Yeah. Just in writing and in editing. Um, I'm going to bring us back to our topic of the week or of this bi-week, which is my first time with an editor. Uh, We are going to be just sort of helping people who are listening to this podcast figure out how to talk to an editor, what to expect from talking to an editor, the different types of edits you can expect um, to receive from an editor, and just general advice for dealing with an editor. But I think that to introduce the topic, we should just get sort of the basics out of the way. Um, Editing is a critical part of putting any book out. Um, Everyone, no exceptions, needs an editor. Um, editors need editors, the best writers in the world need editors, Patrick Rothfuss needs an editor, uh, they, they all do, you know, uh, Ursula Le Guin needs an editor, they all really do, it's, it's a fact. Um, so I guess the, that, that first question that a lot of people think to ask, uh, we can just get out of the way, which is, do I really need an editor? And the answer pretty much like unequivocally is yes. Um, which means that we can move on to the next question, which is, how do I find an editor and what resources are available to me? Um, obviously, we're a team of editors, so we're going to be talking about ourselves. But I think that uh, this would be a really good question to post to John because he puts out his company. Like, what, where, where do you seek people? How do you, um, how do you, how do people come to you? You mean in terms of just people looking for editors? Yeah. In general, yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm quite a well networked author. So I I have lots of people who I connect with, many of whom will at some point um, want publishing, you know, or be looking for publishing and ultimately editing. A lot of people are choosing self-publishing instead of traditional, in which case they're going to need editing done. And they know that I also have an editing company. So that's kind of, that tends to be how I connect with many authors. I think, I think it's pretty common wisdom uh, among self-publishing authors that you need to get editing done. Um, a lot of people opt not to. They'll just put it through spell check and away you go. Um, but I mean, if you want to have a professional final product, editing is as key as cover. Um, those are two things that, you know, you talk to people in the industry, you can't mess around with those. If you have a poor cover or poor editing, Either or, um, it's really going to cost you. Yeah. I mean, when the Kindle, like, really started surging with self-published books, and they were all, like, 99 cents, and I was on board, right, reading all of them. But I started to notice that so many of them had errors. Or, and, and even small things like a page break where there shouldn't be a page break, or suddenly the font size went from 10 to 12. Like, weird formatting things that just when you're reading – 
they just completely take you out of the experience and then you're not enjoying the book. You're wondering, well, why is the page like this? And I think that's the last thing any author wants. Sure. I mean, you don't want to kick people out of your story with the, with the wrong homophone. You want mm -hmm. people to be totally invested um, and you want your grammar, which is a really important part of storytelling, um, which I think would be an interesting thing to discuss and we'll probably discuss in a future episode. Um, you need it to be um, aiding the story along as much as possible. Um, mm -hmm. And so I guess, you know, people, you were saying that some people like to put it through spell check or just take a look over it themselves. Can people just edit their own books or have a family member edit for them? Um, no. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I say no? <laughs> I, your your I family have... members should be beta readers. Yeah. Right? I they should some... be helping you, but sorry, John. Something that I wanted to, I mean, the first question you asked, do you need an editor? And we moved on to the next one. But I think a good question that comes out of that is why do you need an editor, which is related to what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, why can't your family just read it? Why can't you just read it yourself? I think that's that, that, that's the key to why the answer is overwhelmingly yes, you need an editor. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I thought this could be a great thing. Why don't does, do we want to share some of our own perspectives on why you think we need editors? Maybe I'll go. I'll let you guys say something. I'll go last. I mean, for me, just first of all, so I think we're all familiar with this phenomenon where your brain corrects things for you. Like you can read something with a typo a thousand times, but you've been writing it for two years. Like there's just no way you're going to see it because you know what it's supposed to look like. And that's just how your brain works. Your brain is really smart. It fixes things for you. Um, and you just can't trust yourself to see every error. And your beta readers, like my sister is my best beta reader. And as far as like ideas go, she's really great. But she's almost as invested in the story as I am. And people who really love your book can't see it uh, objectively enough to make the, the right changes in my experience. Yeah, the first thing I thought about yeah. uh, was, you know, those optical illusions where um, there's like a pyramid of words and it's and what'll happen is they'll repeat the word the at the end of one line at the beginning of another line and your mm -hmm. brain kind of processes them as a single instance of the word the that's the kind of thing that happens like you were saying Katie just like I've looked at this for so long it looks a certain way to me my brain is overcorrecting is you know hypercorrecting for the mistakes that I intuitively know I've made and intend to correct um, but I haven't corrected them because I just don't pay attention to them I mean I think that there are conditions in which a family member can make a good editor, like uh, if your mom is an English professor. Professional editor, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she's like super harsh about it and really great and I love her, but oh my god, it was like terrifying growing up with an editor as a mom. Um, <laughs> she taught me, you know, how to how to write well uh, with by mm -hmm. force. Um, but but yeah, I think you're right. You know, having a like a neutral third party take a look and. Um, and just, you know, a fresh set of eyes. I, I just finished uh, doing an editorial assessment on a manuscript that had a lot of comma issues. And I'm sure that it was one of those situations where the writer was like, yeah, no, this, I mean, looks fine to me. I just, I'm plowing through it and I'm paying attention to the yeah. story I've told and not the mechanics of the story, uh, not the mechanics of the, of the language that's telling the story. And those are two very separate things. Uh, and really it's a waste of a writer's like abilities to worry yourself while you're writing about commas and semicolons and stuff like your job is to write and then someone else's job should be to worry about the commas and semicolons because when I since I am both a writer and an editor I write really slowly 
because I revise and edit while I write and it, it takes me forever. And I, I wish I could turn it off more than I do. You know, it's just, it feels like a waste of my time as a writer to be spending time worrying about these little glitches that I know will get fixed in, in editing. For sure. I, adding on to that, like an editor can definitely save you like the time and money. And it also makes your manuscript look good because it's not, it's not the fact not only are you like, you know, trying to write your story, you're going the extra mile to actually make it look good in the best mm -hmm. it possibly can be by actively seeking out help from the community. You're not just gonna, you're not just saying to yourself, oh, my manuscript is perfect, you know, I can, like, it's already great. It's like, no, that's, that. there's no, no one in the business who is a successful writer would ever say that, you know, right. and yeah. with regards to saving you time and money, as Katie was just saying, you know, relating as a editor and a writer, you don't want to be worrying about um, just, you know, going over the manuscript over again, just to check out, you know, oh, did this, was this comma perfect? Or should I use the semi semicolon instead of a, you know, dash, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah. If you want to know about commas, you should listen to one of our previous episodes, episode four, <laughs> talking about those pesky, pesky commas. And episode five, uh, which semicolons yeah your name semicolons yeah I, I was confused i thought we were doing yeah. episode five right now but right now we're doing episode six um <laughs> <laughs> my bad derailing that entirely um so i want to ask one more question to the group before we, we break for our little ad in the middle of the, of the podcast and that question kind of will lead into it which i think is like pretty cool that, that it worked out that way i'm really proud of myself for figuring that out good for you the question, thank you Thank you. I need I my ego is enormous, and I need a lot of help keeping it afloat. Um, <laughs> the question is, uh, what can I expect to pay for an editing job? So you know, an author an author is looking around. They have no idea what's a fair price for an editing job. Uh, people are like, yeah, I'll edit ten cents a word, and what does that mean to anyone? You know, about a dollar a page, three dollars a page. Um, this will also tie into the types of editing that that a team of editors might do for for a book. So. Um, I'm going to toss that into the group. What can I expect to pay for an editing job? I mean, I think John should tackle this one because he has the best handle on the, on the different levels. Sure. So are, you're pitching the question and then we're going to answer it after the break or do you want us to, to jump into it right now? Oh, uh, I guess we could answer it now and then fold that into the commercial. Okay. Uh, well, here's, here's thing out. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, what, what this comes down to is um, time put in. Uh, with editing, when you have, like, a, sometimes uh, services will uh, advertise a dollar per hour or dollar per page. It depends on, on um, the business setup or how it works. I like to look at uh, how we charge based on time put in. So that's why we have an hourly wage or we have a uh, dollar per page amount, which is that way for the customer. You know that even if you end up with a very, um, there's a lot of work going in, you know there's a worst case scenario. So that's why I like to make sure that we have that cap and it's based on experience. So generally speaking, developmental editing and copy editing are the most time intensive Copy editing can be probably the most time intensive of all of I them. I would agree. Yeah. It takes it's, the most careful um, approach, I think, right? Because you have to do it line right. by line, word by word. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes it's sometimes it's easy and fast, and sometimes it isn't. And some That's authors right. are really uh, self-aware. We've had clients who know that they don't really pay attention to 
grammar while they're writing. Yeah. And so they know to expect more hours put in. Um, but they can always send us a sample too, right? That's the easiest way. Yeah. It'd be like, send us five pages and I'll tell you how long I think it will take me to copy edit it. Um, Cause right. I know, I know my own skills well enough to know how long it takes me to like complete a project of different levels of difficulty, you know? Yeah. And we do tend to, we, we operate that way, that way um, people who are looking for us to do some work on their manuscript, we're pretty accurate at giving estimates of how much it's going to cost beforehand. So it's really yeah. just a matter of uh, dropping us a line and uh, you know, it's going to be me who responds uh, to start some conversation about uh, the job you're, you want uh, editing for. And then uh, we'll go from there, but we're usually pretty good by, by, lay out a price range that's usually pretty close to what they end up yeah. paying. So, so, uh, so where can they contact you, uh, John? Where can they contact StoryPerfect for uh, <laughs> to well, inquire about if you our, go to our, our services? On our, on our website, so storyperfectediting.com, there is a contact form. Uh, you just have to put your email address in and your message, and I it goes to we have an account that is for, it ends up forwarding to me. So I deal with all acquisitions and I'm kind of the front line for all that. Um, so it, you could always email me directly, johnrobinrt at gmail.com. I mean, that that's, I put that all front and center everywhere on my platform because my thing is I want people to be able to get a hold of me. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, if you're on our website, you, you don't, you can't find that or you just, there's a contact form right there. So if you have any questions about you want to hire us, you just uh, enter your email address and your uh, um, question, a little bit about your project, and there you go. Well, thank you very much. I think that suffices as an ad, don't you all? I do. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I concur. So contact us. <laughs> yes, get in touch. Storyperfectediting. Please give us money. <laughs> also, man, we can do hard work for that money. Yeah, that money will be put to good use. What will we do with all of our apprentices? I know. No I'm going to also be a junior now. Enough of this Dale business. Right? <laughs> Can't give Dale, me too much yeah. power. Dale, Dale, Dale. Oh, don't uh, worry. I'm going to put chains on him. <laughs> oh, great. Um, so let, let's let's hop back in uh, and talk about the types of. Uh, editorial jobs that that can be done i think that we split ours into four uh, editorial assessments developmental edits copy edits and proofreading services um is that about accurate that's right yeah those are that covers what we do so let's let's go down the list what is an editorial assessment i just is did this... one i can talk about it <laughs> yeah what anybody who do, wants to throw something yeah um so uh what an editorial assessment is, in essence, is uh, an editor will read through the entire manuscript uh, that you submit. It'll be it can be a short story, uh, novella like I read, or a full full length novel, um, and they'll put together a letter to you um, with their advice, uh, sort of in, in in two main schools of thought. Or I mean, depending on how the editor approaches it, I approached mine in two main schools of thought. I talked about the story structure and I talked about mechanics and writing. Um, and I gave a set of recommendations about how I thought the plot could be uh, helped by making certain decisions earlier in the story, uh, by revealing certain information a little bit earlier, or holding off on certain other information, about how uh, revealing things uh, in the moment using character dialogue might be a more effective tool than as a recollection. Uh, little things like that to sort of help the writer to, uh, to build a better story. Um, and this is, you know, another one of those things about 
having a stranger, having a, a, a trained stranger do it is that um, a family member or you will probably be a bit, you know, uh, easier on yourself, I guess, than like an editor might be. And it's nice to have that really, you know, critical objective feedback about the quality of a story. Uh, the mechanical assessment is about sort of like uh, observed issues with grammar. Um, for instance, there were a lot of uh, repeating adverbs and adjectives. So like there'd be one paragraph where the word quickly would appear five or six times. And that's really noticeable to a reader. Um, so, you know, giving consideration to how you might say uh, quickly wrote with a different verb, jotted or scribbled or whatever it is that you choose to use that removes that adverb from uh, from the sentence, making it sort of read a little bit more cleanly. Um, things like uh, number agreement, case agreement, uh, first and third person lapsing, uh, those are the kinds of observations you make. And then uh, you express all of that in a letter to the writer um, and hand them back their manuscript untouched. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and I, I'm not sure if you, I think you might have mentioned this, but it's this is the first step. Uh, so if you're looking at a full editing production, Again, this is a reason why it's good to have a professional editor and not a family member because there is a process uh, and that's why we have these four steps. The first step is that editorial assessment. It's a bird's eye view. You're, you're looking at everything on, in one big picture and then that allows the uh, author some time to go over everything and do large-scale revisions before you get down and start doing the next type of editing, which is the developmental edit. Um, and I guess this is a good segue for that. So I know who should talk about developmental editing. Oh, I have a feeling. One. Gail. Me? Oh, me. No, Tell no, us no, about developmental editing. <laughs> well, I just copy editing. Okay, come on. Got it. All right. So <laughs> I just did a 560-page developmental edit of a text. So I'm pretty familiar with the process by now. And pretty much the... The goal of the developmental editor is to make sure that the the, the a narration of the text is pretty much consistent throughout, but not only that, developing how the narration unfolds throughout the text. So basically just making sure that um, there's no redundant information, aka in the first line it says like, oh, Bobby ate a sandwich, and then maybe like three lines later it says that he ate a sandwich again. I'm going to be cutting out information such as that. And second part is basically identifying inconsistencies in voice or perspective and such. So basically, like, to make sure that the, the tense of how the, narr the narrator is presented is consistent throughout. So we're not, we're not suddenly turning the narrator into a character in of itself in the story. And... Um, just basically making sure that the characterization is consistent throughout, making sure the character arc is, you know, flowing like a par parabola, um, and just making sure that the plot, tone, and setting and such is consistent throughout. Yeah. yeah. A, good, a good way to, um, when I think about developmental editing, it's kind of the second step. It, I, I think of it as a more uh, focused editorial assessment. Because oftentimes, and, and usually when we, uh, you can have just a developmental edit done. If you're under a tight budget and you can't pay for all the four steps, I would recommend, okay, try to get a developmental edit done. Then we'll do kind yeah. of, we could do a copy edit, uh, proofread combined, depending on, we, we do, we negotiate with authors depending on what they can afford. But um, I mean, 
ideally, if we could do the full steps, we would have the same editor do first an editorial assessment. And then after the author does their edits, they would go back over the manuscript and now leave comments in there. And that's, the, that's what Dale essentially did with this manuscript. There wasn't an editorial assessment first, but it was more going uh, through the whole thing. And um, the, the big difference between copy editing, for example, and developmental editing, in developmental editing, you're comment heavy, lots and lots of comments, lots of questions. Right, Dale, you had like, in this manuscript, I mean, I was overseeing Dale, so it was uh, our, our apprenticeship where he graduated to finally to junior editor. Um, and uh, I, there's a lot, he was asking lots of questions, which is great because that gets the author rewriting. It's not just cut this, cut that. It's more rethink this and see how that is going to lead to changes in the manuscript right here in situ. So, yeah. And then sort of, sort of alternately, the following step of copy editing is I do not ask questions. I make changes. Like line by line, I look for grammatical mistakes, um, inconsistent voice in the narration, which sometimes gets handled in developmental editing, but it just means like that the vocabulary used is appropriate to the character, is appropriate to the type of book and narration, um, redundancy, um, overuse of adjectives or adverbs or anything like that. I mean, my job is to make sure that the book has a style, and that style is the author's voice, um, if that makes sense. It, when, when I read something out of context, I can tell you if it was Hemingway or Faulkner, because that's what I, like, I can identify a voice. And my job is also to help the author maintain that voice, so that when someone reads it, they go like, oh, of course, of course, this is Ian's work. I can tell. I know what Ian sounds like, right? And a lot of us can do that with our favorite authors. Um, so my job is to maintain that voice and also just to like get rid of any errors, grammatical, I handle all the semicolons and commas and M dashes and parentheses, that's all me. Um, and it can be, like John said, the most time heavy because it is so specific, just like word by word, line by line, rephrasing to make things more concise, uh, a good rule for copy editing is that um, whatever you're editing should be shorter when you're done than when you started. Um, it should never, ever be longer. Never. <laughs> I am uh, yeah. currently involved in taking a series of copy editing courses at UC Berkeley. Um, and I, I can say from the experience that I've had in, in those classes, and, I, and mostly that's been uh, academic papers and you know, other things like that. Um, but uh, copy editing, I think, is the most mentally task, uh, the most mentally demanding of of these various services of these various pieces of being an editor um because of that like just tremendous focus required um uh which leads us to our final um stage in the editing process and the final sort of like of the four aspects of, of copy editing or of uh, editorial editing um which is proofreading um anybody want to take that one or Ian, yeah, I've you since we've yet, so why don't you tell us a bit about proofreading? You've done a bit of that. Proofreading is basically about making sure there aren't any grammatical errors, any weird typos, any out-of-place punctuation. Essentially making sure that the manuscript looks shiny and ready for publication. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even the copy editor might miss things, right? Because it's such mm. an intensive job. You're yeah. doing so much. So then the mm. proofreader comes in on that final step and just makes sure that there's nothing left behind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's sort of the purpose of proofreading. That that's exactly why we have that mm. step because um, I and it you know this this goes back to what we're saying with writers should focus on getting the writing done, and that's why a writer. Yeah knowing they have an editor can write better because they're not obsessing with editing while they're writing. They're obsessing with getting the story right. And then we have these stages of editing that proceed and each stage we're specialized in different levels. So Katie, you can go to town on the copy yeah. edit. You, yeah. can, you can, you can <laughs> eviscerate the manuscript if it's required. It's my favorite thing. Work. Yeah. And you know what? If you get a comma for, that's replaced with a period by accident, you know that a proofreader is going to be looking yeah. at this after to catch those exactly. things. So you can focus on your specialty. And likewise, Ian, you're at that, you're at the end there and you know, you're not worried about copy editing or you know that that work's been done and yeah. your job is to catch those typos and make sure everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. I think that's four tiers works really well because it not only helps the author, but it helps each editor along the way. Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot less work on we me. I'll say that much. The number <laughs> yeah. one thing I find distracting in the book is when there's a typo and I can't fix it. Because it's like, <laughs> yeah. how did that get through? Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you and millions of reviewers on Amazon. <laughs> I think it's one of the biggest pet peeves we see among with book yeah. reviews. A book mm -hmm. can be amazing. And it's like, but there were typos everywhere. And that could yeah. ruin your experience of a great book. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we had somebody come back yeah. to us, right, John? Somebody who had already released their book and people complained about typos, so then they brought it to us and we cleaned it up. That's right, yeah. And we do things like that because, you know, we're story perfect. We make sure the story is perfect in every sense. I mean, yeah. I've read books published by the big publishing houses, you know, Tor and the rest of them, with typos. It's, you know, yeah. you can have 30 people look over a manuscript and something will still slip through. So... um you know, just be honest with your editor, I suppose. Be like, oh, you missed something. I'm not sure. I don't think any of us would be like, you know, tearing off our clothes in a rage and, you know, sackcloth and ashes, some kind of like, but I failed. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not us. Um, certainly not me. I don't know about you, Ian. We just met. I, I think the reality is mistakes happen. I mean, even, even no matter how much you put in in, in human error, we do, I think we optimize the process by having these four steps, but I even advise authors who work with us to still have, after copy editing, to still have some beta readers go yeah. over it. Put that together with the proofread, because our proofread is going to be the professional edge, but you know, you always, there's always going to be that little thing that, you know, because we have different um, blind spots. And the reality is a properly produced book through traditional publishers can sometimes go through 50 different sets of eyes. All the different people who handle the copy for marketing purposes, um, they'll go over it and they'll yeah. all catch different things. So it's just how it works. So you put the more eyes on a manuscript, the better. And, you know, the idea is four is, four is going to cover it way better than just you know, your spell checker yeah. is going to... Yeah, I think that's actually a really good note sort of to end on with this idea of, you know, your first time with an editor, like what to expect, why you should get in touch. Um, it's what you said, and it puts it so simply, John, everyone makes mistakes. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, none of us are an exception. 
and neither are you, fair listener. Um, so we're just about at 30 minutes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut our podcast off here. Uh, I want to say thank you to our podcasters. Welcome, Ian, to the group. Um, thank thank you. you for coming back, Dale. It's always a pleasure to have you. And hey. uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks for our next episode. Sorry for the surprise there, listeners. Uh, but at the beginning of the episode, I rolled right over Dale, who had a great point to make about what an editor is. Uh, so we did a little bit of talking after the episode was done recording, and uh, without further delay, here's Dale on being an editor. Something I, I really wanted to talk about was what exactly is an editor? What is in, an in editor? today's topic? Yeah, because Maybe we, we I mean, covered that in the last episode. Did, I mean, yeah, I wanted to cover. I wanted to talk about that because when the topic came up, like, do I really need an editor? Elon, no, no offense to you, but you just kind of skipped over. I was like, damn it, I had this whole thing going. Like, who, what is an editor, and what makes makes us different from you know the the family member or you know just yourself even? Because an editor is you know when. As an editor, we are using an education to sort of our education is what separates us from you know other other just the regular regular Joe because an editor is like a third party right who is coming from a neutral unbiased standpoint who has no relation to the story but at the same time you know our opinion our, not to put us on a high pedestal but it we have a yeah we uh, we yeah. it holds more weight because yeah we've been specializing in this. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's I think the idea behind it. We've been specializing in it. We've trained. We've have experience. Mm -hmm. um, we've been reading various reference material and how to you know the different levels of how to edit fiction. So yeah. uh, that's what separates us. There's also the angle of we're being paid money. When you're being paid mm -hmm. money to do something, you take it. You invest much more mental energy. And focus in that thing. So even yeah, if you didn't actually, it's a totally different ball game. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you might be busy and you're having a terrible day and you're behind and everything. And it's like, oh crap, I have to read this first. I'm not, I don't want to read this book. I'm bored, but yeah, I'll do it because they're going to get mad at me. So I'm just going to gloss over here and put a smiley face. You know, like that's <laughs> that's what <laughs> oh, happens with a lot great. of people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, in, yeah. I'm participating in a writing workshop right now where we're like trading manuscripts and stuff and it occurred to me that people thought they were going to get like professional level from me because I told them they thought I was going to go through and like fix their manuscript and I like made a comment like your POV changes or whatever or it was just like I liked it I like dragons and stuff and everyone was <laughs> like oh you're not going to I'm like if you give me money I will give you more yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I'm sorry it's like, so I actually think this would be a great like, episode sorry this conversation yeah. well i'm gonna so add let's, it let's, to the end of yeah, yeah. the last episode nice. as like a bonus so great great idea dale um yeah thank you yeah or that's a real a junior developer attitude there yeah <laughs> putting that title to work dale <laughs> um so yeah I'll, I'll just i'll tack that on to the uh to the end of the last episode as a little bonus we talked about other stuff <laughs>